Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, if you're curious. It's the only podcast hosted by two brothers discussing comic books, the thing they love. Uh, I'm one of those two brothers and one of the hosts, Kevin Hines. I'm the other host. My name's Will Hines. Yeah, uh, we're brothers. We're comedians. We are uh, uh, living on opposite coasts. We are human beings. Yeah. We sleep at night generally and eat food during the day. This is who we are. Yeah, we're omnivores, members of the kingdom Mammalia, and uh, oh, fans of my, comic books. My son is so into omnivore, carnivore, herbivore designations. Really? Falling asleep a week. Dad, tell me another herbivore. <laughs> uh, and I have to name some. <laughs> um, uh, it's very funny. Um uh, we're in the middle of our season of interviews, guests, uh, and I don't know if they're interviews. I don't know what they are. We're having guests. We're having a bunch of guests. It's a mixture of friends and comedians and comic book creators. And today is a comic book creator, one I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, uh, this is Matt Kint, um, who uh, <clears throat> Kevin and I are both fans of, and Kevin in particular is a super fan. And I say it that way because I was introduced to Matt by Kevin, who would enthusiastically buy me Matt Kint comics and be like, you got to read this one. You got to read Mind Management. You got to read Red Handed. Um, yeah. His big book is probably Mind Management. That was the one that put him on my radar. But he's done a ton of stuff. He, uh, some of it he draws, like Mind Management and Department H uh, or Super Spy uh, or Pistol Whip. I think he drew all those things. Red Handed he drew. But then there's a lot of stuff that he's writing for other people. Uh, Ether, uh, uh, something came out just called um, Fear Case just came out. Bang, we covered on an earlier episode. Yeah. He's got a comic called Berserker coming out that he's co-created with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is an enormous hit, uh, and that's crazy. Um, I'm looking forward to reading that as well. Yeah. And so um, it's just it's a, it's a metric ton of comic books. Even though he's done a lot and he's <laughs> quite successful, I think it's possible if you are only a casual fan of comic books that you might you – might have slept on Matt Kent a little bit and maybe have not delved in because he's mostly done what, what I used to call indie books when I was like a teenager, meaning not Marvel or DC. Mm -hmm. He has done some stuff for them, but largely he's like a dark horse guy and like other companies. So I guess also in addition to us just being thrilled to interview him, we would love to just advocate for him and say like, yeah. Hey, his books are great. You, we, we know that you'd love him. Check him out. He didn't do a three year run on Punisher. So you might not, be familiar with him. <laughs> and um, he tends to do a wide variety of stuff that is informed by lots of different genres. He's just as likely to do sort of a, I don't know, psychological thriller as he is a kind of a detective story, as he is a superhero-ish action story. Like, yeah. he kind of mixes a lot of that stuff together. A lot of his stuff has like a spy bent to it, even if it's not that, or sort of like, uh, you know, uh, twists and turns and, and double crosses and gadgets, sort of, although it's not always rooted in that. But uh, his stuff's great. He had a, he did a bunch of Valiant comics. We talk about that with him a little bit. He uh, mentions being a big fan of Philip K. Dick at some point, and that makes sense to me because a lot of the stories that I've read, he's done so many that I, I, there's a lot that I haven't read. But what I have read, there's a lot of like, things are not what they seem uh, in his stories in, in a fun yeah. way. And Bang even has like an overt reference to him with uh, the stigmata of, I forget what the character's name in the book Palmer is. Eldritch. Palmer Eldritch. Palmer Eldritch, which feels the like Philip K. Dick character. it's a clear Philip K. Dick analog in, within that book. And that book also shows up in his new comic, uh, The 
Fear Case, which is an unrelated comic book, but it's like some. So that book has trans. Uh, uh, so the fictional book within the Bang universe is is in other comics that Matt Kent has worked on. So it's sort of it exists in multi realities. That's which fun. makes sense for a Philip K. Dick book. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're we're big fans, and uh, we taught. So the the what he wanted to talk about was a comic called Concrete. I just said that in a weird way. Concrete is not how you say that word. Yeah, it's concrete. That's right. Concrete. Uh, I just put no, too much emphasis on the second. It's concrete, uh, like the substance, like the, <laughs> the, the uh, building substance. Is what? <laughs> that, that, that uh, is how what you say it? it? Yes. Yeah. And this uh, was a this was an indie comic in the late '80s by Paul Chadwick about a speechwriter who gets trapped in an alien body of stone, and then has to kind of find peace and live his life. Uh, with indestructible skin. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting, very different comic. Uh, you can get it on Comicsology. There's all the trades are on there. Matt Kent wanted to talk about it, uh, despite refusing to reread it. Yes, he talks about it in his interview how he did not want to reread it uh, to not spoil his memory of it. So he's talking about what he remembers reading in the late '80s, which uh, I do appreciate. You know, you get these you get these special impressions we have of the stuff we loved when we were younger. Why spoil it? On a previous podcast, we talked about an issue of Spider-Man I really enjoyed where a building turns to gold during Secret Wars 2. Right. And I reread that recently. Yes. It didn't hold up. Okay, right. So I still love the idea, though. <laughs> still love the idea. So we can see what Matt's talking about by being yeah. a little hesitant to revisit your things you loved as a, as a younger comics fan. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we were really excited to talk to him about what he loved about Concrete, and we talk about comics and fans and stuff, so... Do you think he likes me? I, 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 you know, we forgot to ask him that. I, I think, uh, um, I'm going to say yes. Uh, you're probably his favorite person, I think. Yeah, I think he hates me, but <laughs> well, you be the judge, listeners. All right. So uh, please enjoy our interview with uh, Matt Kent. So thanks for joining us, Matt. This is so exciting to have you on. Yes, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So before we talk about Concrete, which is the comic book that you selected to discuss, before we get into that, we just want to talk to you about what you are like as a fan of comics. I guess like how you got into it. What kind of fan are you? Do you have a million comics and Mylar bags? Do you pick and choose? Do you never read them anymore? We want to, we want to know about that. So yeah, yeah. how you got into it. Um, yeah, my arc is... It's different, you know what I mean? It changes as you get older, it changes, you know? But I think when I was, uh, I was probably like seven or eight um, when I started reading comics and I had an older brother who's six and a half years older than me and he was reading X-Men. And this is like, he started reading right around like the death of Phoenix. So when that, when that stuff was happening in X-Men, he was buying those. And, Early 80s. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So I could probably pinpoint the exact year. And uh, what's funny is, like, I've never asked him why he started, you know, because that's interesting to me. Because if he hadn't started, I wouldn't have. And uh, and I don't know how he picked it up, because we didn't have a shop uh, in our town. We grew up in this small little town. We didn't have, like, a comic shop. We had a grocery store with a spinner rack, yeah. you know. So it was, like, Marvel and DC, whatever they, they put out. Yeah. Um, we would get those books. and uh, But my brother, I had my older brother, and he was always, I was younger, and he was, everything he was doing was cool. And so I was like, what are you reading? And he, but he didn't want me to touch his stuff because he claimed I had grubby hands, you know? And I, and I, I was kind of a dirty kid. I played outside all the time. And, and, uh, 
<laughs> and I was, and my room was gross. You know, I was a gross kid. I, I will <laughs> give him that. And uh, so, so he was right. Yeah, yeah, he was right. But then, so then I was cried about it to my parents, like kids do, you know. And, and then they're like, "Well, get a, get your own subscription to, uh, you know, pick out some comics and we'll subscribe." They had the little coupon in the back. You clip out and mail it yeah. in, and, and you can subscribe. Well, the problem with that was that uh, the coupon, the only coupon available at the time was like Dazzler number one that my brother had. <laughs> and so he didn't want me cutting it out of his comic. And then, yeah. and I literally did cry about it. <laughs> and then my mom made him cut it, the coupon out of his uh, comic. And so I got my subscriptions. And, and uh, my first comics were uh, Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man, Daredevil, and uh, GI Joe, I think. Not a, not a, not amazing. You went for the secondary title. Yeah, because I I what's funny is I I remember this like it was yesterday. Talk, consulting with my brother who knew all about comics. I was like, what's the difference? Why are there two? And he's like, well, Amazing Spider-Man's more of like action and big fights and stuff. And Peter Parker's more about like his personal life and smaller stories <laughs> and everything. And I was like, well, that's that sounded more interesting. So I got that one. Something yeah. Even though I don't know if that's true. I don't know. I think he was probably I think that might be what they. That might be what they said. Those comics were pretty the same. I mean, like it was just. <laughs> that's what I thought too. I, I think like the A-list writers generally ended up on amazing, <laughs> right? Uh, an artist, but uh, when you read them, it's just sort of like man, he's fighting the scorpion in one and the lizard in another, and that's the difference. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the the nuance differences were not there, like my brother described. <laughs> but I like the idea of it. So, did you stay into comics after that? Like as you got older. Yeah, I got, I, that was like grade school, all through high school, I was reading comics and like, and then I was reading at the height of my fandom for comics was like 1985, 1986, which is like the golden era of like Dark Knight, Watchmen was coming out. And I'm in high school. Yeah, yeah. It hit me just at the right time. I'm in high school. I remember being in algebra class and then having Watchmen issue, the fourth issue, the one where Manhattan's on Mars. And I'm reading that in algebra class, and I'm like, what? That's the only issue I had. I hadn't read the ones before, and I didn't know what it was about. <laughs> What's going on? This is insane. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, but I was just, you know what I mean? It was like, the, it was like such a time to be a fan of comics, because it was like, in some ways, it hasn't been surpassed for me. Yeah, it's like, it's like what the late 60s was to rock and roll music, like when yeah. the Beatles and Dylan and right and Hendrix Brown are all releasing yeah. albums and stuff. Yeah, no, you, it's just this, it's this golden era where you're never going to have that again. So that like kind of was an engine that just fe- that kind of cemented your fandom, sort of? I, it, it did in a way. In, in high school, I wasn't sure. I really liked, re- I was reading everything, like science fiction, pulp fiction, like Doc Savage and old listening to radio serials and and reading Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. And, and so I, I loved genre fiction and reading uh, prose. And I loved comics. And then drawing was like almost like a, I was illustrating covers to my like um, book reports, you know, in, in school. So I, I was art wasn't the thing. And then my art teacher recruited me in high school. She's like, why aren't you? why aren't you drawing? Like, I see the, the English teacher gave me your book reports and you should be in art class. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I didn't really think about it. I just like, I like story, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so that was like the beginning of like, oh, I like both. I really do like drawing and writing and 
I still hadn't figured it out yet. And, and then this is like, I graduated in like 91 from high school. And I remember going to uh, Chicago Comic-Con, it was, I can't remember what it was called. There was a con big convention in Chicago and my brother and I would drive up there every summer and go to the convention. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I just remember the one year I went there and I, we've gone like two or three years in a row. And then we were there the year the image happened, you know, and there was a big tent outside because the crowds are so big. And I was like, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really into that. I don't think I, and then I was walking around the floor, convention floor and there wasn't much that was interesting to me. I was starting to get, have this feeling of like, I think I'm outgrowing comics, you know, like I, I don't, uh, I'm not finding anything I'm interested in. And then, uh, and I think that happened, uh, at the same time I picked up, uh, eight ball one, two and three were out. Fanographics booth was there. Yeah. And I picked up those. I was like, these look weird. You know, this yeah. guy with like Z-cus crustaceans stuck in his eye sockets on the cover. And, and right. I was this like, is this Dan Klaus, uh, eight ball. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, for some reason, that really resonated with me, just the, the visuals and the art style. And it looked colorful and pulpy, but like not, wasn't superheroes. And it was, I didn't know what it was. I was like, I got to read this. I don't know what this is about. Yeah. And then I remember reading issue one of that on the way home in the car. And I was like, I was like, this is, I have to do comics. Like I have to do comics for, this is what I want to do. You know, I like story and I like art and here's a guy who's figured out a way to do something that isn't superheroes but still got like weird pulp genre aspects to it and it has kind of a lynching feel to it which I was Twin Peaks hit me at just the right time too so I was, I was loving that and just sort of weird offbeat stories and storytelling and and, uh, and so I think when I read 8-Ball that was, that was the catalyst for me uh, where I was like oh there's there aren't a lot of comics right now that I'm interested in as like I sort of grew out of superheroes. Um, and I found that I'm like, well, there's not, there's not much out there like that. Yeah. Uh, but I, now I want to make it, you know, I, I feel like that was, it was like a wild west of, of storytelling that there, nobody was really doing it. There weren't a lot of people doing it then. So, yeah, um, I guess I see what you mean. Like eight ball definitely would have like, almost ironic genre things like Lloyd Llewellyn was his like whatever his 50 hipsters character who'd be going to like auto mats and there'd be like private eyes but then they would turn out to be like aliens or something like that and then and then a gang of this did not happen but I feel like something like this would happen in Dan Klaus books where like there'd be a group of beatniks but they would be sort of parodies of beatniks and then like old punks with tattoos I mean he seemed to simultaneously be using tropes and kind of making fun of them. Yeah, and yeah. And making I, fun of youth culture while knowing a lot about it and stuff. Yeah, and he was really... Uh, I just remember two things. One is, uh, Louis Llewellyn was like before 8-Ball, and I went, so I went back and read that because I was such a fan of 8-Ball. And then Louis Llewellyn, I didn't like as much. I didn't really right. care for it because it, it was sort of just like... It wasn't as wild. Parody or, yeah, and it was like... Uh, I don't know, but I felt like 8-Ball was like, was more sincere in a weird way because yeah. it's not, it's like, uh, in a way it's not sincere at all. But it's well, also, he, would, it was, he would have things where it would, he would just be addressing, he would draw himself and address the camera and be like, let me tell you what I think about Chicago or something. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what I, I think about jocks or something. Yeah. They, they would sort of be sincere. No, it, it would be. And then, uh, but it, the, the thing in 8-Ball, it was the like a velvet glove 
story that really struck me because right, that like was like cast and iron. Yeah, yeah, and it was like creepy and weird, and these these characters with backstory, and you have no idea. Yeah, uh, but it was so evocative um, uh, that just really uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but it, yeah. but uh, that spoke to me. That was the, maybe still is the strangest story I've ever read in comics. And the idea of reading it serialized where like a chapter would come out an issue when it really seems to almost be an improvised story um, yeah. is like a real nuts experience. No, no, no. It was, it was, uh, it was super fun to read it. And it's one of those I can go back and read and, uh, and I'm not disappointed. I'm still like, yeah, it makes me, gives me that same weird feeling I had when I first read it. <laughs> There's no. like the dog that has no head, so that yeah. to feed it you have to inject water into it to keep it alive, and then they yeah. shave it, and there's a message written in its skin. Yeah, there's like a map or something on it. They had to shave yeah. off the hair, and then the, the little girl under with his door shaving the, the dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, there's someone, and then the potato girl, and yeah. then uh, there's so many things that are just so unique and. and uh, this is really exciting to me. I was in art school at the time too, so it really struck a chord. All that weird stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. So that 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 also cemented you. So yeah, you went through like a you got exposed to some pretty primal comics influences. You know, the golden era of superheroes in the mid '80s, and then you know, Fantagraphics and that weirdo stuff. Kevin and I are fans of that too. Mm-hmm. Is like was kind of like I don't know. I don't know what you call it, like some kind of indie alt like thing that was like, Oh, this is all, this can also happen. All that stuff. People, I think people who are really into comics generally have to get sucked in twice. It's like, you have to get brought in initially and sort of be into it for a little while, but then you need something else that sort of like locks you in uh, permanently. And sometimes that can be the same thing for people. Um, but yeah, yeah, when you're a kid and then again when you're a little older, your taste is yeah. mature. Is something going to re-hook you or do you leave it behind? Yeah, no, it, it, and I felt like I was lucky in a way that the, the industry was growing up with me. Yeah. Like comics had kind of stagnated, you know, in the 60s and 70s in, in, a way, in a way that of like the audience they were appealing to. But then you had like uh, Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore and Frank Miller come in and they they were they were they wanted to do something more but they had they were stuck with superheroes as a genre so they yeah. were doing all these crazy things within it you know right. to sort of yeah. push that push it away push it towards uh things that adults would like to read you know and, and yeah. i think i was lucky to be there when that happened because you had something to grow into you know yeah. rather than like oh i'm a comic book for kids you know yeah. now i'm like an adult i want to read adult stories how about now? Do you read comics now? Sometimes I feel like when someone's doing it professionally, maybe they're, you know, it's like do professional musicians still listen to new albums. Like, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. Like, uh, it's two things. One is like I've. So we talked about a little bit about collecting and like what kind of a fan of comics I was. And uh, I grew up when I was a kid. I was just I had comics, and then there was no. I didn't have a comic book box. I just stacked them up or I had them on my bed and, and then I would sleep next to them, you know, like yeah. fall asleep reading them. Then I got older I, and I was like, oh, I got a box and I put them all in the box and then finally ba- bags. I'm like, that's weird. And so I would bag everything and probably through high school, through college, I was still buying comics, 
And then I was bagging them and boarding them, and I had probably like 20 long boxes of comics by the time I got to college. Mm -hmm. um, but, again, but again, like my buying sort of slowed down, but I still had all these comics. And uh, I didn't want to get rid of them. I still loved comics, but I didn't really go back and read them, and I wasn't buying as much anymore. And then, uh, and actually, I was just trying to like, I was in art school, I was trying to make comics. So I was still reading stuff that came out, Mad Men and 8-Ball was still coming out, and Chris Ware, and, and, uh, and um, I'm trying to think. I still bought a ton of comics yes. through college. And then, uh, and I worked at a comic shop, so everything was half off. So I bought <laughs> so many comics. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but by the time I got, I got out of school, and then I got a, a real day job as graphic designer. I was still going every week to buy comics, but I was buying less and less. And then at a certain point, I, I just sort of stopped going every week. And I was making comics, and uh, and then I guess when I got published. Then I was going to comic book conventions. So then I would start doing those, like two or three a year, then four or five, then I'm doing like 10 conventions a year. Yeah. I don't, there's no need to go to a comic shop. I would just go buy direct from a creator <laughs> or go to the publisher and, and get that stuff. And uh, yeah. so I would just come home with tons of books. <laughs> you don't you don't do this stuff a lot, but when you do stuff that's like connected, uh, like when you were doing the Valiant books for a while or, or uh, the Black Hammer, 44 miniseries do you read then the the uh, other stuff around that were you reading the other valiant books when you were writing uh ninjack or or divinity yeah yeah so what happened is like i gradually started working in the industry and making comics and uh so then it sort of changed my relationship to comics and that i would have to read uh, stuff around it like the violent stuff i would read those books to make sure the continuity was right or um uh, when I was at DC, I was I had to read maybe the worst ten comics that I've ever read in my life to write this thing, and then I decided I couldn't. I wasn't gonna. I was never gonna read another comic uh, <laughs> that I didn't want to read. What were you writing for DC? I don't. Uh, I the thing I was reading wasn't related to the thing I was oh. writing, uh, sure. because I ended up quitting the thing that. Uh, that I was gonna write. Oh, so you didn't write, <laughs> and, and I'm not gonna name what it was. Sure, that's okay, fine. Okay. But uh, I thought you like you did like one mini for Marvel or something. I can't even remember what it was called. And uh, yeah, I, I did a yeah, I did a, the Strange Tales. They had a bunch of indie creators do like uh, a story, yeah. like a Black Widow one in there, and then I did uh, Spider Man miniseries. Yeah, I think that's maybe what I remember. Marco Rubio. Uh, you, you didn't do much of that stuff, so. Uh, yeah, no, I did. I wanted to do just enough, right? So I could be like, yeah, yeah. if somebody like, like, like I I play tennis, so I'm in this tennis league, and then like the dudes are all like 50 and don't read comics. They're like, yeah. oh, what do you like? What do you do? And I was like, ah, I wrote Spider-Man. So I can say I wrote Spider-Man. They'll get it, and then that's it. Yeah, not need anything else, right? Uh, it's interesting because I I was I probably wouldn't have checked out the Valiant stuff, but uh, you and Jeff having your names attached brought me in, and I loved all your stuff there. Um, and it was like, oh, this is such a cool, different superhero universe because of you guys. Jeff who? Uh, Jeff Lemire. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and the, and I ended up reading like stuff that you guys even weren't doing. I kind of was like, it was a small enough universe. I was like, oh, you know, I kind of I'm digging on it all. Yeah, right. I, I think that's the appeal of that family to me. It was like the continuity was so limited that it, yeah. it felt like you, as a grown up that doesn't have a lot of time or memory to remember 20 years worth of stuff, I can get in there and pick it up and still enjoy it. 
it, it felt smart of them to get you and Jeff uh, and Robert Vendetti just to be like, hey, you guys are it. And I was like, oh, they got these like smart writers to come in and, and make their universe feel different uh, versus like getting the same guys that everyone gets uh, who are good. Uh, but then it's they're just it's just another superhero universe. Yeah, uh, I thought that was cool. No, it was it was fun. And it was one of those things where none of us look for those that that work we they came to us like warren yeah. who's been he's my editor now with i'm working on bad idea with him too and he uh he just he came to us you know he liked our other independent work and sure, wanted yeah. us to do that so it was just very interesting to me like the guys behind like uh sweet tooth and and, and mind management doing superhero comics so i'm like all right let's see what this is uh, yeah it's fun no what's funny is like we're all all of us grew up reading that stuff and we're yeah. fans of it and it's just because we don't do and Jeff does a little more of it than I do more than I could actually uh, stomach <laughs> but, yeah <laughs> but, uh, but it's but it's uh, but it's because we love that stuff we grew up on it so there's like a nostalgia there and then uh, and then to me it was always a creative problem it's like oh what can we there's like 50 years of history with this character what could I possibly do different or new with this and then it's kind of a fun puzzle to sort of crack when you're asked to do it but you did like the uh i forget what the name of the group was but like they're based basically they're justice league they're uh yeah yeah uh, unity unity yeah. and it's like and it was nothing like uh any justice league or avengers book it was uh, uh it's such a different book for you to be writing even though you've done stuff that are sort of superhero-ish like uh passed aways or, or what have you but yeah, it was. A, I was like, "Oh, Matt's doing that. All right, I'm gonna check it out." <laughs> and it's you know involves giant robot heads and things like that, and it's completely out there and and government agencies. <laughs> yeah, no. It, to me, it's it's fun to do that stuff, and it's it, it's not something I could do full time, but it's something that's like, oh, I, it's fun to take a break and play in yeah. that kind of world and have that fun. Like to me, it's just like. Uh, sort of channeling Jack Kirby and just like, what crazy, what are the craziest ideas I can think of and throw them in there and then have, make it fun and colorful and, and, uh, yeah, I I think, but also bringing guys like you that have like a genre sensibility by the very nature of it changes the feel of it. You know, it's like when Brubaker was doing stuff at Marvel, it's like he's, his uh, uh, noirish sensibilities are going to change Captain America from what somebody else might do. And well, yeah, 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 for sure. Um, let's talk about concrete. Yeah. So yeah, you chose concrete issues one through four. Uh, uh, why did, why was that your choice or what, and also, what about that? Maybe tell our listeners what it is too. Yeah, right? what, what is concrete? So yeah, concrete is, uh, it was, I have, I have it right here. So I was going to look up the publication date, but this is eighties too, right? Like, yeah, this is eighties. So this is around the same time. This is like right after Watchmen, I feel like, like 86, yeah, 87 yeah. is what I remember. I'll look it up all. So those first four issues, they're black and white, and it was published by Dark Horse, and it's by Paul Chadwick, who is a writer and artist. He did everything. And um, it's about a guy who is stuck inside this sort of concrete body. Um, it was, he, aliens come down, and I've, I'm going all from memory from having read this uh Back in like the 90s was probably the last time I read it. Um, but the aliens have given him this like crazy concrete body that he's in yeah. and he can't get out of it. 
like a um, brain transplant situation. Yeah, and he doesn't know why. And he's, he kind of is stronger and he can't, he's indestructible. And he can doesn't need to breathe and it's all this this weird stuff. But then he is kind of clumsy and he uh, can't really hold things with his hands anymore. And he, um, so it's, to me, the, um, I didn't know when it came out, I was like, oh, it kind of looked, it looked like, the, he looked like the thing, you know, from Fantastic Four, but it looked, I, you flip through it and it looks kind of sad and it's like what's going on like yeah this sad, sad rock yeah. guy yeah and uh and so that at the time it was like the time where i was just buying everything too so i'm buying this i'm buying concrete that's it's the same time i'm reading eight ball and probably back me novelty libraries out and and like and i'm also reading um like some of the valiant books back then too like harbinger and that stuff um and, this, uh, this initially came out in July 1986. Yeah, jeez. So that's like, yeah, it's like right, right after there. Watchmen, right? And Dark yeah. Knight, all that era. So, um, but to me, I, I picked this one. What's funny is like, I, it's, it is a question I get a lot, which is like, what's the, what was your formative comic or what's the one? And I, and I had a list. I had three that I was going to choose from and I couldn't decide. List. And uh, the, the list was, uh, Concrete, and then Frank Miller. There's an issue of Daredevil after Elector died, where he's in the. And I looked up the number. I don't have it in front of me now. I meant to bring is it this up. Where he digs up the body. No, this is where he uh, is in the hospital with Bullseye. He's paralyzed Bullseye, and he's playing Russian roulette with Bullseye in the hospital with this oh, guy. Right. So the whole issue is him, like clicking, telling the story, and and then uh, sort of uh, pulling the trigger on this gun for the whole <laughs> issue. And uh, I remember reading that when I was whatever age, 13 or whatever. And I was like, what is, what's going, what's happening? Oh, oh my God. Like, <laughs> like it's so dark. And then at yeah. the end, like the twist at the end is like his gun doesn't have any bullets. You know, it's like yeah. he's not a violent, he's, he realizes the impact on violence. And then like the subplot, the B story in that issue is like this kid watching Daredevil beat the crap out of Bullseye on TV. <laughs> And then, like thinking he can do it, like thinking he can grab a gun or do be violent, um, and like it's Daredevil sort of wrestling with this idea of like that's not who he is. He doesn't want to be an example of violence to kids, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's that really resonated with me. Not when I read it, it was just like a weird offbeat issue when I was 13. But later, when I was, I was like, oh, he, like to see what he was doing with Daredevil and like how he was telling different stories he was a superhero and there was the costumes and it fulfilled everything that a superhero book should do but he was doing something completely different with it and i i really like that him subverting like a genre with another genre you know he's putting sticking crime in Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. Mm-hmm. 
And then uh, was there a third one you said on your list? Yeah, and the third one I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. But uh, it was three choices, and I it, the other two, the Daredevil issue, I I talk about a lot. I always, and then Concrete is always the one where I don't I don't name it, and uh, and a part of me doesn't name it because I feel like it's, it was almost too influential to the core of like how I approach writing, and so I I don't. Uh, I always feel a little self-conscious. Like I was like, I don't want, I don't, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's too personal. You don't want to, <laughs> like, like tint it or something, or you don't want to, you don't want to, you you want to leave it pure in your mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that, that was the other thing is I was, I was, I was like, I'll pick it, and then oh, I'm gonna, I'll reread them, and then, uh, but then I, I didn't want to reread it because I'd been, I was, I've been rereading some of my favorite books this year, uh, and so I went back and read. Uh, um, Catch-22, and what was the other one I read? Oh, and I read Phil K. Dick. I'm a huge fan of Phil K. Dick, so I reread um, uh, The Dark-Haired Girl, which is like one of his more obscure ones. I don't know. And I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it really made me sad. I was like, because those books were super influential on me, and like I, at the time, they really spoke to me, and like I got so much out of them, but it, I hadn't read them for um 20 years 25 years and so in 25 years like i've grown and like the way i think about things is different and like i've read like 25 years worth of other books and movies and comics and, and uh so when you go back and revisit that thing you read when you were 20 and it was like it spoke to you when you go back 25 years later um it doesn't it doesn't work that spark isn't there you know it's not like it's interesting because the memory of the book sparks those feelings, kind of like when you hear a song, like from that, like you're in college and whatever, like that first girl you're dating or whatever it is, it sort of brings up those weird feelings yeah. or those emotions of, that you were feeling at the time. And you, you kind of like it and you're kind of like, oh, I'm kind of embarrassed by those feelings now. <laughs> or like, you just seem so much uh, less mature. And so anyway, so revisiting things that I love is something I've decided I'm not going to do anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be speaking just to your memory of concrete. So this is, I'm telling you how I felt about concrete uh, when I was 20 years old. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the beauty of concrete to me was like he, like the big idea of it was like he took a fantastical concept, which is this guy in sort of a rock uh, body, like basically the thing, right? Like uh, superficially, yeah. he took the thing from Fantastic Four, but he's telling a very human story about what it would be like, uh, but for real, you know? Like, what's what's that really like? What's your day-to-day? -day? Like, how do you go to the bath bathroom? Like, how do you sleep at night if you're this thing? Like, he has to have a special chair constructed, and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then he loves art. He starts collecting art, but he can't really touch any of it because he's clumsy and it, he's strong, and so stuff breaks. And uh, they have to carry him around in like the back of a pickup truck um, because he's so heavy and, and uh, right. So it's, this guy's in a super strong body and it's from aliens. But instead of doing stories about him like fighting other super characters or fighting aliens or dealing with that, he's uh, hiking and going uh, swimming yeah. across the water and uh, telling, tell, sitting around trying to write a book or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's what I like that he. Like the challenges, then he the conflicts he came up from, he came up with himself. Like he, there's no villain to fight 
And he's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to swim across the ocean, you know? And then, I, and then this is off my very vague memory, but like him seeing like the jellyfish and the sea creatures and the stuff glowing at night and everything. And the, um, I like the idea that he, I liked all of the things he did with the character and the story and the decisions. But what I really liked was he took a very uh, crazy concept and then grounded it, yeah. you know, and he made you care about the guy inside and he mm -hmm. made you like, uh, uh, I just like that idea of like one thing is weird and then everything else is normal. And so how does that weird thing work in a normal world? Uh, uh you, you mentioned how it's a little sad. It is sad. He's like, he loses his human body. He can't touch anybody anymore. He can't feel anything. Uh, he doesn't have sexual organs, so he can't have like a, a romantic partner. Um, but what's interesting is the book is the guy, Ron, Ron, who's, um, I forget Ron's last name, who's trapped in the body, Ron yeah, Lithgow, Ron Lithgow, um, sort of is just becomes, he's an intellectually curious guy. He was like a speechwriter and this like well-read. So he's kind of like, what if the biggest NPR liberal geek was trapped in a super body. Well, he would like explore the world. He kind of goes on adventures just for his own intellectual stimulation. Um, and it's kind of the sweet, smart, absent-minded professor type trapped in the body. So there's like, there's a real, uh, it's kind yeah. of an optimism to it. It's like, well, you're in a prison, but he sort of in a weird way makes the best of it and builds a life for himself. Yeah, that's, but it's, that's also, very it's early. also very melancholy. The whole tone of it is always like, Loneliness. Yeah. Yeah, he's separate from everybody. And you're reminded of that all the time. Yeah. No, the, the thing that gives him the strength also is the thing that sort of isolates him and makes him sort of cut off. But, uh, yeah, no, I uh, all those themes and stuff, I like that. And I, I think that's why, like, I took, I took that idea of, like, the one weird thing, but tried to... Uh, couch it in real world and I, I, I apply that to every single thing I do like anytime I approach a story it's like uh, it's like okay this is what's the fun thing what's the fun thing to draw right the fun thing to draw is a big guy in a concrete skin yeah. you know it's like what's the fun thing to draw okay and then okay but now what, what would that really be like you know it's like yeah. like and you can just what what's funny is like that works with everything like and I feel like it formed my style of of writing in so many I ways. Like, I feel like that's also sort of true of some of the best Philip K. Dick stuff that you mentioned, like where it's like, all right, here's the science fiction concept, and yet it's trapped in like a world where there's maybe other future stuff. But it's more just like, all right, so if we can implant memories, uh, what 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 does that mean? How does that feel? How does that affect you? If there's a a drug that sends you back in time, right, right. What does that Ooh. do? But it's told through the point of view of this guy that works at like a, ra a radio repair shop, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like that. It, it's the, like the man on the street or the everyday person with one fantastical thing thrown in. Yeah, I think that stuff's great. I think that's always really interesting. Uh, Jonathan Lethem's stuff is also sort of like that. Uh, Lethem? I don't know how you pronounce it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like that to me. Um, I love uh, Philip K. Dick stories, and I've read a lot of them. And yeah, the bet I, a lot of them have aged badly, and a lot of them are only half thought through. But a lot of times, it is the central idea is so appealing and fun, 
and there's a real uh, there's a real human aspect to his best stories that always surprises me. Yeah, I think last year I, I I had never read, but I read the Unteleported Man, which I think is a different name uh, name. But I bought it. I wanted to buy the version with the original name, which is the Unteleported Man. Uh, and like the first two chapters, I loved, and then the rest of the story is okay. But it was, yeah. the start of it was so good. I was like, oh, this is my favorite thing he's ever written. And it's <laughs> fine after that. But uh, the idea of it still just kind of carried me through the rest of it. I was like, yeah, it's only okay, but what a what a start. Yeah, no, I, I think that's what, uh, like, ultimately, like, the older I get, the more I'm attracted to not, like, I don't, I don't need the work to be, like, a finished, polished work of art, like a, like, that's like perfectly put together. What I what I respond to is something that's just like got raw energy and like mm-hmm. ideas packed into it. And like to me, Phil K. Dick was that. Like he, those first two chapters, it's worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, the rest of the book, yeah, it's fine. He plot wasn't his thing. Character wasn't really his thing. His thing was ideas. You know? Yeah. And like as a as a creator, like that's what I'm always like looking for. Something that will spark something in me. You know? Like an idea that gives you an idea. And, uh, and so, like, I love, I just burned through all of his books. And I think Kirby is, I put Kirby in the same category where he's he's not technically uh, brilliant. You know what I mean? Like, he's not the most polished artist. He's not the most gifted writer. But the energy and ideas and everything, he, he had no filter. He put all of it in there. And that's, yeah. like, as a creator, that's what I want. It's like raw, it's like seeing raw material. And then, like, oh, my God, you here's, this, here's the kernel of an idea, but... Totally not fleshed out, just like thrown in there. <laughs> Chat, d- trying to articulate what how Jack Kirby works is really interesting to me because there are like you could, if you wanted to, just like categorize a lot of like limitations of him, but there's something just like indisputable that like is magic about Jack Kirby stuff. It's like so. Kevin and I reread <laughs> the first hundred and three issues of Fantastic Four that Jack Kirby drew. And then yeah. I tried to read like the next four or five after he left. And while reading the Kirby issues, a lot of them are insane and the plots are crazy and some of the characters seem so almost like dumb or whatever. And I'm like, oh, maybe Kirby's kind of nuts. But then as soon as he leaves the book, it gets so boring, I couldn't even finish issues. And I was like, oh, he he had me. I was hooked all the time. If Kirby was doing it, it was interesting. Uh, and maybe maybe what you're saying is part of it, the ideas, the unfiltered enthusiasm for just ideas maybe that maybe that was it yeah i don't th- i don't think he there's a few creators where you look at him and you can you re- you can see that they don't they're not filtering anything it's all it's all just coming out you know and, and like it reminds me of when i was in art school there's this, i took a printmaking class and this and it it burned into my brain what he would he was telling us was like he's like you would do your plate do the etching on the plate and then you would ink it up and then you would run put paper down and then run it through the roller and then you print, then ink it again, ink it again. And you do like tons and tons of prints off the same plate. And uh, and he's like, don't don't worry about it. Look at it, okay, ink it up, put some more ink on, put it ink on a different way, do it a different way, run it through again. He's like, it's not about making that one perfect print. He said, it's about, you just, he said, movement and production. Mm. And he's like, just keep, keep doing it, working it, like making it, making it, making it, you know? And then, then you look and then you've got, you'll have one or two or a handful that are like amazing, you know? And I feel like uh, Kirby and Phil K. Dick and I, and I feel like I've approached my career the same way is like, I'm just moving and producing. And it's like, I'm gonna, 
like I I hope all of it is interesting and then hopefully there'll be a handful that are good you know like like I just try not to filter ideas and and I love I respond to creators that do that because I think I yeah. sense of yeah your spirit. career <laughs> is very interesting to me because like I, I I discovered you when you started doing mind management uh with that that was dark horse right yeah uh i the first issue that came out i was like oh this looks interesting i'll try this out and you had done stuff before then uh and i've gone back and read uh a lot of that stuff um but it felt like oh you're doing a little here a little here you started doing my management now it seems like you've got three or four books coming out all the time uh it's just the 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 quantity is incredible uh, yeah, I know. I figured out what I figured out is that if I don't draw everything, I can get a lot more story ideas out there, you know. And and so yeah. it was it was a transition for me because I because like I I love drawing, you know. I miss I, when I'm not doing it, I miss it. I get bored of writing all the time, mm-hmm. and then uh, and so I miss it. So what I I've had to choose like I'm like all right, I'll draw this one, and then I'm gonna get I'm gonna write these other four for someone how you, else. How do you choose which one you'll draw? That's probably a question you get a lot, but well, it just depends. It depends. I it has to be something fun that I'm interested in. I was going to draw Ether, um, and I was so excited because I had written it and built it up, yeah. and I all this fun stuff is going to be real colorful, and I was, couldn't wait to draw it. And then David Rubin was available, yeah. and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I I'm going to have to give this one up. That's one of the few ones where I'm like, <laughs> I was like, I he's better than me it's gonna look better it's gonna be a better book um he's more visually inventive and everything and so i i like i checked my ego and my my uh really wanting to draw that book and for him to draw it i'm glad he did like it's it's like a thousand times better than what i imagined it was gonna be it's a beautiful book i I like when you also sometimes with books you're not drawing you'll draw like the inside covers like black badges you would draw like the schematics of the uh uniforms or whatever yeah yeah no i there's still a touch of you in there uh, your art in there rather yeah i'm a and i'm horrible ask any of my art art collaborators i'm a terrible collaborator when it comes to covers and the design of the book (laughs) because i i was a graphic designer for like five years like i my background is in art but also graphic design and so i have a very specific idea of the look that i want terrible in that you're very picky yeah, I'm horrible uh, dictator when it comes to covers and art and everything. And if it's not right, I'm like, I have to uh, talk. I'm like, I tell the editor, I'm like, hey, you be the bad guy here. <laughs> and now they're hopefully none of them watch this and they know that it's really me that's the horrible monster. But no, I, but I only on the cover and the, like the inside stuff, I really do try to, I write for the artists I'm working with and like, and, and I'm super open to, their input and everything and I, I try to be right. a good collaborator hopefully but the packaging it's good so okay yeah just it's just the covers the covers i have to be a certain way <laughs> uh, i want to go back to concrete a little bit and just talk about the art of it because i feel the art is so beautiful and it was really like peaceful and soothing especially maybe compared to the other stuff that i personally was reading like in 1987 1987 i was still pretty much just reading superhero stuff i think i was into love and rockets but but brand new and like and like Neil Gaiman Sandman although that wasn't out yet I mean that is still within the DC universe but I was pretty much reading like you know capes and you know fights and yeah. uh, and then maybe Love and Rockets and then like the concrete was like this meditative I don't know it like slowed down your brain as you read it sort of 
And I think a lot of it is this black and white, smooth, polished, meticulous drawing. I think the thin lines, lots of detail. Yeah, and it was real, to me, it was very gentle. Like it wasn't, it wasn't dynamic. Yeah. And, I, and it wasn't dynamic in like the best way. That was like a very, it's just like a soothing thing to read. And it was about the character and like these great images and everything. And uh, no, when I, I, when I picture concrete in my head, uh, I, I, it, it comes out much faded. Like it's not like a black and white bone where it's like bold lines. Uh, concrete is like almost like it's uh, been like just faded. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it different than that. It's like a uh, very quiet, thin line, almost in the background. Yeah, it's just, it's very gray, you know, like the yeah. I, uh, no, I, it's, it's very fitting. Like the the art is gentle, like you say, or whatever. The the, the feeling of the art, the the result is like a gentle feeling. Um, you're you're saying it's not dynamic in the best way. It's very fitting that a book that's like stillness is a big part of the story. Like he's trapped. He can't get out. He has to be in it and be and find peace in this. And then the book itself is like a kind of cold, still, peaceful, gentle thing, just like concrete the character is. It's really yeah. cool. No, it, and I wonder if part of why I respond, responded to it then is also because of the context, you know? Like you're saying you're reading like once the superhero books at the time. And this yeah, is, yeah. Like, is it 1986? That's 19, when it started. Yeah, so 80s. And I probably didn't start reading until like 87. It's probably probably the first four or five issues that come out, you know, and yeah. I don't know when those come out. But but uh, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was reading that same stuff you were reading and this. So it's like, <laughs> to me, it's like the contrast is so different. And I think that's part of what, attracted me to it as well as like oh this is it's just like a you don't watch like action movies all the time right you know but with comics i felt like i was reading action i was watching action movies all the time and right. so like yeah. when anything else oh here's a drama here's a crime story like uh, anything else was always like a novelty and and kind of exciting to me you know especially if like the best mainstream stuff at that time was like almost extra violent because you have miller and more like yeah. Watchmen and, and Daredevil and, and Dark Knight Returns are, are violent books. They're smarter than that, but it's still it's still the the trappings is a bloody nose and someone being uh, necks broken or whatever. Yeah, so no, it's, it's a vicious world. Yeah, and what's funny is like I as much as I love Concrete, I love like Electra Assassin was coming out after that, like probably. Right right after this and i love that but it's super violent and that's everything. the like, bilston uh, kevitt's painted uh series where it's all like paintings yeah. of the art and it's really surreal and abstract and the characters are going under like mind control and delusions and people are possessing each other right so that's like a really trippy read yeah that's, no that's it, very david lynch you're sometimes not a hundred percent sure what's really happening when in that story yeah no he, he and that was great too because i of that one else we can just I'm going to talk about that a little bit too, but sure. visually, uh, that's one of the things that sort of uh, struck me is that like, oh, you can tell, you can be telling a, a story about a relationship or a couple or a spy or whatever, but it, you don't have to, it doesn't have to look like what's happening. You know, like in comics, the, the medium is so visual that um, I find that I still try to do that today is like, ah, I, like really these characters are just talking, but I don't want to draw them talking. You know, I want to draw 
you know, change the background or make something crazy happening that sort of enhances what is going on in the story. I have not read Electro Assassin in recent years, but I love it. And I've read it a couple times. So this is a foggy memory, but I feel like the main character is like some kind of right wing mercenary, you know, for hire guy that like somehow Electra manipulates into working with her and protecting her. And he falls in love with her at some point. It's told from his point of view, but he's like a weak minded idiot who is like, not a dummy, but like he he's constantly falling prey to Electra's wishes. And so there'd be issues where he's in love with her or he thinks he's in love with her, but he doubts that. And there's like, he's experiencing hallucinations while they are killing the enemies of Electra or something. So it's both like violent and psychedelic, all done in these beautiful oil paintings, right? Yeah. And that was a trip. Yeah. It, it's, it's super exaggerated. Like I love, the covers are great. Like there's the cover where she's just holding this gun that's like ridiculously big, you know? Yeah. And it, yeah. It's like super exaggerated, but it's a, uh, but it was done in such a neat way. Yes, I think she has like I, I, mind I was, control powers. Yeah, she's using her like ninja mind control powers. Yeah, or whatever. yeah. But, like, I think it was fun that Frank Miller, who had such clout, right, after Dark Knight Returns, kind of used it to do, like, lots of cool out there projects for a while. Like, Miller really used his success as an artist to to really push the boundaries. Um, And Alan Moore, too. Like, I I was kind of – and I was impressed that the companies let them. Like, well, they – Marvel published Electra Assassin, and it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> like it is yeah. a crazy book. No, even, yeah, even by today's standards, you know. Yeah, like, but kudos, uh, kudos, I think, for the the willingness to experiment. So, Concrete does fit that. It also, like you're saying, the mid '80s was this golden era in terms of like Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen. But Concrete's part of it, like the indie movement, the arrival of like Eight Ball and Concrete, to me, is also part of the mid '80s, like boom like oh yeah you yeah. can go to your comic shop and pick up an issue of x-men and it's a chris claremont written teen angsty drama then you could read a walt simonson thor and then you could pick up concrete and it's like this lonely meditation on stillness <laughs> yeah no and i i think that's the other reason i pick concrete is because nobody like nobody's gonna pick it you know what i mean like it but doesn't come out much and and it's I feel like it's the one that kind of it slipped through the cracks or it doesn't get it doesn't get the call outs or the notice, um, and I think maybe a lot of it is maybe because people didn't discover it at the time, you know. And then uh, and uh, but it's one of those to me that it's still so good, you know. I think it's still so good. I remember it being good, so I'm hoping you refuse you, to can you refuse to find out if that's yeah. I think, so I'm going to ask you guys: Is did you guys read? Did you read the first four? Like. Uh, I did, yes. Recently, so I read it uh, yesterday. Yeah. Does it hold up for you? I mean, do you think it holds up? Have you read it before? And the- uh, I had I had today. read it when I was a kid. I don't know if yeah. I'd read it since. So I was real young when I read it, and then I probably read the later stuff as well as that came out because he did like a, a recurring miniseries and stuff of that. I found it parts of it I found just as good, and a few, and some aspects of it I found not as good. I don't know if that's yeah. sort of a wishy washy answer. It. It wasn't like a perfect comic, but I was like, the stuff I loved, I still loved. And I think there's a, a, I have a thing when I watch old things that I used to love that I sort of just, I've become like a young me enjoying that again. Uh, So it's sort of like, oh yeah, uh, kid Kevin now is reading this, not adult Kevin. Um, 
but yeah, it, it was, it was more inconsistent than I remembered it, but the good parts were still really good. Okay, good. But I'm also <laughs> glad I didn't reread it. <laughs> That's not, that have, my take. We'll I want to have my different perfect memory. <laughs> I, I loved it, but I mean, I, I think I like everything I read. I, I'm too easy. Like I, 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 I end up justifying stuff as I'm reading it. So I loved it. I mean, I found it like just as peaceful and beautiful and wonderful. And I maybe like it more. It, it strikes me as even stranger than it did at the time. I appreciate more what an anomaly it is. I think because I was like 16 or whatever, 17 um, I guess I just maybe assume, you know, that as soon as I delved into indie books at all, I get Love and Rockets, Concrete, some old R. Crumb stuff. It was all really good stuff. So I was like, oh, it's all just good. It'd be like if the first four movies you watch are these great movies, you're like, oh, I guess all movies are good. <laughs> but now I'm like, oh, no, this was like really special, like that this happened, that Dark Horse chose to publish it, that like Paul Chadwick chose to do it. Like it was really unique. There have not been a lot of concretes over the years. If I had chosen to dive into indie comics in the mid nineties, it would not have been there or in the mid seventies. It was like this, it was a kind of a special creature. I appreciate that more now. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that it weirdly was just casually on the rack of my comic book shop when I just was like, oh, maybe I'll check out some black and white books. You know, yeah. I happened to pick up this weird special animal. Although I think there was like word of mouth on concrete. I used to like, I think I would read Amazing Heroes, which was the Fantagraphics news magazine about comics. And I think they were raving about it and it was not a Fantagraphics title. So they're raving about, you know, Macy's is raving about Gimbal's suits. So like that maybe caught my eye and... Did it appear in Dark Horse Presents before the mini or did it just come out of nowhere? Yeah, I wonder. I... Yeah. I have to go back and look at the history of it, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I forgot about Dark Horse Presents. Because sometimes then, they would do things where it'd be like, oh, yeah. uh, if you're flipping through that or you'd hear word of mouth from that, it's like, oh, there's a cool story in Dark Horse Presents, and then that would become a miniseries. Right. They'd collect it and be like, oh, that's... Um, well, that's what I remember. That, I wonder if that's how I stumbled across it, because Dark Horse Presents was serializing Sin City, wasn't it? Like Frank Miller's... The yeah, first, the first yeah. Sin City was in there. But I remember... Uh, yeah. Well, uh, you, you discovered it later, so maybe, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I, yeah. yeah, that might have been later. I can't, I don't know. It all, it all compresses but, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember Dark Horse Presents was an interesting thing because it was, Sin City was in there and there was always a couple other ones. And I do remember David Lynch did a comic strip, a serialized comic strip that was in there called The World's Angriest Dog. And it was just like four panels of this angry dog. Like every, every issue, that's all it was. It was so funny. Anyway, I, I like when companies get individuals. I like when companies take a big swing on something weird. Big company like Marvel, smaller company like Dark Horse. I really appreciate it. I like when something strange happens. I'm in favor of it. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's interesting. Like Dark Horse, uh, I, when they did the, it was the Legends in print when uh, Hellboy started. And, yeah. And, um, and Sin City and. Um, gosh, what else? What was it? Burn was doing. Uh, Next Man was part yeah, of Yeah, Next Man, everything. And I, I remember sort of, I was like, a, at one point, I was buying more Dark Horse books than anything else. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so I think about it, how weird it is now. Like, I've been working, Dark Horse is basically publishing everything I do. <laughs> and uh, and it makes me happy. Yeah. I was like, oh, because they, yeah. they formed me early, you know, and yeah. like the fact that they 
um, I find a home with them. I don't know. Yeah. I feel uh, like the, the 80s. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. I was going to say, these comic book companies are, it's funny. Like, I'll ebb and flow from different companies. And I'll just be like, oh, just, why did I get so many IDW books recently or uh, whatever it is? Uh, or like, why, when did I start reading so much image? And then that'll go away for a while. And then it'll be like, I'm back at dark. And it's just, I'm following whatever it interests me. Uh, yeah. But there'll just be stretches where I'm just like, Oh, I thought I wasn't reading anything from Dark Horse. Now I'm getting 10 books. Well, what changed? Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. Even back then, back in the day, it was like, do you remember Tundra? And then there was some other publishers sure. like that where they were they were publishing. I can't remember what they were doing, but I was buying those Tundra books. was Kevin Eastman's uh, yeah. company. What did they publish? Because I remember the logo and I remember liking some of the books. Was I mean, it? I don't remember what Tundra put out. Uh, I remember it existing, and I'm sure I bought some stuff from them. No, I'm going to look it up. It was like post him doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He wanted to do his own stuff. And like I think Peter Laird just kind of got out. Well, I'll say an obvious and dumb thing while you're looking that up. Um, but you don't have to listen to because it it's so obvious. But I, what I think is interesting is like each generation of creators is sort of like they learned the lesson of whatever they read as kids. So like... Miller and Moore were re- they were they were raised on Kirby and Ditko, so they were like they wanted that fun and enthusiasm and that Ditko beauty, but they wanted to bring whatever you know sci-fi things into it, crime stories into it. They wanted to make it more for adults, and I feel like the people who read the '80s stuff, Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen, Concrete, they when they start making comics like you, they're gonna push it even further. You know, they're gonna take no, I I like that. I want to take you know what you were saying, gra- grounding the supernatural like concrete does, but you were also a fan of Electra Assassin. So you're not above just a good, huge, hugely drawn gun and an exciting action story. If that's if that's what yeah, you're right. Doing. Let's throw some mind control in there. Yeah, make it interesting. <laughs> get a whole series out of that, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a sucker no, for lists. I remember when Fantagraphics in the late 90s or something did their list of the 100 greatest comics ever. They did some crazy list. And, uh, you know, 100 greatest American comics. And, um, you know, Fantagraphics, kind of artsy show-offs, which is partly why I like them. But, like, their list was, like, all over the place. They would include very few superhero books, but they had some and and the way they categorized what a comic was was nuts. Like they all of Ditko's Spider Man was one entry on the list, and then like Watchmen was another entry, and then, um, you know whatever Crazy Cat I think was number one or no number two Peanuts was number one. The all of the Peanuts comic strip was number one, um, and in a way it was an insane inconsistent list. But I I remember reading it and being thrilled by the variety. And being like, oh, it is exciting to just consider all of these things comics, like a Peanuts comic strip, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, Concrete. They're all comics. They're all like using the art form into Crazy Cat, you know, from the 30s or whatever, or 20s. I don't even know when that was. But uh, it's fun to enjoy the variety of what's possible. And I feel like the 80s started that. The 80s indie movement started that. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, you're right. And like every every generation is like informed by what they grew up reading. And also there it's a reaction to that. Like yeah, you're either fixing it, what was good and better. what was bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think, so it is interesting to sort of be, like I feel like I'm in the middle 
not the end of my career. I'm in the middle of it. And then uh, and I see the kids coming up behind me and then and what they're doing with like web comics and digital stuff and and, uh, and it's exciting and, it's, and uh, fun to see it sort of shifting again, you know? Here, here's a statement so general, it, it, will, it would be impossible to discuss. But like my primary job is an actor and a comedic actor and that's what I pursue. So I watch a lot of comedy and stuff. What I notice in comedy, and I'm 50, right? So it's like, Everybody feels younger than me. That's not true, but it feels that way. So when I'm watching like what comedy's being made by people in their 20s, it all seems to be genre parody. It is all just like a sitcom, but it's not a sitcom. A horror movie, but it's not a horror movie. Like that seems to be, you know, or like you think it's this, but it's this mm -hmm. genre wise. They're like experts in tropes where they cannot, they, they're not happy with just a detective story. It's got to be like a parody of a detective story that's also heartfelt, but then it's a rom-com or something. Uh, that seems to be the, the mode of the day is playing with genre a lot. I don't know. Is that true in comics? Yeah, you know, it's, I, it's funny because, uh, you know, the movie fits that perfectly is, uh, God, what is it? It's the new one. It was like a zombie movie by uh, what's Shaun his name? The Dead? No, it's the guy who did *Strangers in Paradise* and uh, oh, Jim Jarmusch. The, the Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, yeah, *Dead Don't Die*. So I, yeah, exactly. I was like, it's like, what is that? I and the thing is, like, I'm like, oh, what's he doing? I don't have any interest. I like him, but I don't have any interest in his zombie movie. And then I ended up watching it on an airplane of all places, which is a horrible place to watch a movie, but. Yeah. But I was like, oh, it was actually, it was actually really great. Like, because, <laughs> I haven't seen it because it was, it was, uh, there were zombies in it, but it was like totally, a, it was totally a move, his movie, and like character driven and kind of funny and weird and slow and like. <laughs> I saw his vampire movie, um, the only lovers left alive. That was him, right? I think so. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that one because for the same reason, I'm like, eh, I don't think I. It was really strange. Yeah. <laughs> It was the chattiest, uh, it was the chattiest, slowest vampire movie you'll ever Yeah, see. right? <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I want, I want it to be. <laughs> so funny. I don't know. Anyway. But yeah, uh, no, I, I think, uh, I think there's swings back and forth, right? And then, and then we'll probably get more sincere genre yeah. fiction that's character driven. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like even within my career, I've. I feel like I bounce back and forth where I want to do something really fun and just crazy. Yeah. And then I want to do something that's quiet. And... Yeah. I mean, you definitely see that with comics. Uh, um, there's like nostalgia booms where it's like everything is trying to like recapture the feel of old comics. And then it's, uh, you know, it's like, oh, now it's a, a, all uh, not necessarily crime comics, but like kind of crime oriented, sort of this grittier urban. And it just kind of shifts in waves or what have you. Um, or it's, it's now stuff's like funnier than it was or a little looser and sillier. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's a, I don't, what's funny is like I, the answer of the, the question from a while ago is like reading comics now, I don't really read any because I'm so, one thing is I'm so uh, picky and critical. And so like, there's not a lot that even appeals to me just like when I hear about it, you know? Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and another thing is like I, I don't really want to. I used to read comics and I was inspired by them, and now I don't really feel like I want to be. I want to get inspiration from other stuff. That like makes I want to read history and I want to uh, read prose and just do research on stuff and 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 
study other kinds of art and bring okay, out the comics. Who do you think would win in a fight? Hulk, Thing, or... No, I'm only kidding. I don't know. <laughs> it's always Hulk because he can get stronger and stronger, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The always he gets angrier he gets. It's always the Hulk, yeah. <laughs> he's, He tells you he's the strongest one, and so that's it. Case yeah. closed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, I don't mind having those conversations. That's what car, long car trips are for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, how about a, a, a what's a last last thing? What's a yeah, pitch? We're gonna wrap up, but would you, let's say you want to sell concrete. You want to get someone to read it. I know you actually probably don't care, but let's say that you are in charge of advocating for concrete. How would you pitch it to our listeners to make them check it out? I, I, uh, boy, hopefully. Hopefully you want to read it already based on what we said, but to me it's like a... <laughs> I mean, they like skipped to this if, part of the podcast. Right, right. It's like, what if you had uh, unbreakable skin? How would you live your life? This is what that book is about. What yeah. would you do with it? You yeah. know? Well, you can... Yeah. Uh, if people are interested, it's on Comixology that the collections are. Um, so you can get like the first collection on Comixology. Yeah. No. Oh, you know what? There's a good environmental message in it too. I think that was way ahead of its time. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. There's a lot about concrete's worried about the earth a lot. Yeah. Um, it's a very thoughtful book. Yeah. And every now and then, aliens. Yeah. And aliens, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Matt, thanks so much. We were so thrilled to talk to you. Period. And we love the epic concrete. I weirdly. The episode that we recorded before we heard that you were going to talk to us, we we started talking about concrete yeah. on our episode. I made a, a random concrete reference as yeah. a, I think we, something about concrete being in the secret wars or something. Yeah, you were trying to think what the opposite <laughs> of the secret wars was. Like, yeah. And you were like, concrete is like, as a comic book, is the opposite. And then I laughed and I was like, man, haven't heard about concrete in a while. We talked about concrete. And then That's the next day we got funny. an email like, oh, Matt wants to talk about concrete. We're like, concrete is in the zeitgeist. <laughs> concrete is back. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so crazy. Oh, the third book on my list was Cages. I looked up Tundra, the publisher, and Cages was published by Tundra, oh, wow. which was the third book that I almost picked and did. Who did Cages? Was that uh, Dave McKean? McKean. That's what I was thinking. McKean. Uh, okay. The problem was I reread that one. Ah, um, so I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. You spoiled yeah. it. <laughs> don't, uh, don't return to your favorite things, everyone. Yeah. That's the yeah. lesson here. Don't meet your heroes, even, especially if your heroes are memories. <laughs> um, uh, all right. Well, thanks so much, Matt. We, this has been a thrill for us, and you've just been really nice. And thank you for making time. Yeah, thank you. So that was our interview with Matt Kent. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that one. Uh, it was a thrill to get to talk to a creator uh, that I've been really into these last like five, ten years. Um, so, so cool. Um, if you want to email us about that interview or other interviews or other episodes or, you know, just diet tips, uh, you can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. Screwitspidey. Yep, and we also have an Instagram and Twitter account at screwitcomics. So please check those out if you want to get in touch with us for diet tips or uh, yeah. anything else. Sure, and, and, if you're, and if you're bored, uh, review our podcast. Oh, yeah, rate and review our podcast on how, whatever, yeah, however we do, you do that it. now, Apple Podcasts. We don't know where. Do it happens. only if you're really bored and have, you know. Yeah, if you're excited and want to do it, hold off. We want you yeah, to, we, to be in a very placid state of mind mm -hmm. when you review That's our right. podcast. Um, but uh, thanks to everybody uh, for listening, and we'll see you next episode. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. 
This is Patrick. And this is Mark, co-host of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we're your home for all things Nintendo. On Tuesday, we're talking about the latest Nintendo news. And on Thursday, we're doing deep dives into specific corners of the Nintendo universe. Ranking the Koopa Kids. Determining who the best Smash Fighter is. That's Nintendo Cartridge Society on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.